Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Welcome to this week's episode of Start, Scale, Succeed. And today I am joined by brand founder, Lucy Jeffrey. And we are going to talk about how she has grown her business on marketplaces, particularly FAIR. So if you are interested in growing the wholesale side of your business, understanding what marketplaces, how they operate and what they look like, then this episode is for you. So tune in and listen in. And thank you very much, Lucy, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now, let's get started in terms of how you started the brand and when you started it and what it is, what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. So I started Bearkind in 2018. I was working for a bank at the time. So I started as a side hustle, as everyone calls it. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, so I sell bamboo socks where 10% of the profits are donated to the animal on the sock. So I partner with a lot of amazing animal conservation charities around the world. We've got so many different designs now, but I actually didn't start with socks. I started with other products. So it's one of those journeys I've been on where I've kind of tested a few different products to market and then I've now kind of zoned in on what I know works for me. So when I first started, I was selling reusable straws because it was the massive hype around, you know, reducing single-use plastic. I think plastic straws were being banned across Europe at the mm-hmm. time. Then I moved into kind of recycled T-shirts, tote bags. And it wasn't until 2019 that I started my journey with socks. So I actually knew that I wanted to bring out a product that donated to charity. So I started with that 10% model and then kind of worked back from there and said, what product would work well for this? And I landed on socks because they're just my favorite Christmas presents. Every time of the year, I love getting a pair of socks in my stocking and felt, you know, this is quite like an easy one for me to get into. I'll, I'll start here. So I literally just started with turtle socks. So literally one design and my customers loved it and were already saying, this is a great idea. I, I want to see other animals. So since then it's snowballed and I've bought out loads more designs and in December 2020 I actually quit my full-time job so I've now been doing this full-time for two years which has absolutely flown by I can't believe it but yeah I I haven't looked back like it was the best Mm -hmm. decision ever leaving the bank and well done and congratulations on being able to work on your on your business full-time just going back a little bit to the beginning so you must have been very what one, what made you think, right, okay, I just, I want to do something else. Were you very much like, I don't want to work in banking my whole life, you know, because like you said, you started with different products first and, and you knew to change. And what some, what can happen sometimes is people start with something and stay with it for too long, you know, whereas you weren't really attached to what it was initially. It was just a business idea or not? What Talk me through. It was, bit. it was just a business. Like I knew the values I wanted with Bear Kites, so the kind of looking at the sustainability side of it, do it like my legacy to the planet. Like what am I giving back? And that's kind of what spurred me on because I felt I, I worked for HSBC. So it's a, a bank of like 250,000 employees. I was a tiny cog in a massive mm-hmm. machine and I just didn't really feel like I was having any impact. So that's what kind of lit the fire under me. And then, yeah, as you said, I was testing since 
from then. And it's always advice I give that, yeah, don't stick to one product. Now I'm on socks and it's going well. And we're kind of, we're bringing out some new types of socks and, and things like that. But I'd always be open to kind of what does the future hold for Bear Kind? Because ultimately I started with the brand name that wouldn't tie me to a product on purpose. So it's not like I'm Bear Kind socks or Bear Kind straws. Like mm-hmm. the brand name is, you know, it's grown into something itself that I could do use other products with. But that being said, I'm very much only socks right now and for like the foreseeable future. But I think being open to new products is always a good idea. Um, but yeah, the, the values behind the company is really what pulled me away from banking and, and into this. And then, so you focused on socks. What made you, was it basically because of the interest from the customers and it was an easier thing to focus on that one thing rather than to try and juggle too many plates or what made you just kind of walk away from the other product types? They're just a much better product. And I, I've got, and I do think as far as I can tell from what I've seen, I think I'm doing this the best in the world. Like our range of animal socks is incredible. Um, whereas the straws are everywhere. Like yeah, every yeah. bloody shop has them now. And I was just looking at it thinking, you're not really going to start a biz, start and grow a business on that product alone. Like they're perfectly good, but they all come from the same place. They're all manufactured in, in like yeah, China. Yeah. There's a few factories they're that do them. Really they're identical. USP. Yeah. There's no real USP. Yeah. Whereas with what you do. Exactly. You get them designed yourself or do you design you yeah. work with a designer? And- I started designing them myself, um, but I am no nowhere near a designer. Like they're, you know, they're nice designs and like I'm quite good at drawing animals, but we now have a proper designer who works with us um, on a freelance basis and she's fantastic and she's an actual talented artist. So you can really see the difference. So um I started it doing it myself and some of some of our best selling designs I drew, but I think you can now see the kind of like level up from having a like a real designer on them. The progression of them. And um, how broad have you gone on your range? So I know that I was looking on your website the other day and you've got a lot of beautiful animals. What makes you decide which comes first, the design or the charity? You know, like you think, right, okay, I want to. It's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) A real mix, actually. At first it was animals. So I was kind of going, I know that I want tigers, gorillas, giraffes, elephants, like you're kind of the big ones that you think of. Then I started going into, I, I do want some more niche animals that probably don't get the limelight they deserve. But now I'm also starting to get charities come to me. So, for example, um, at the start of the year, a chimpanzee charity came to me and was like, we want to work with you. So I was like, great, let's get a chimpanzee sock done. So that's in design process at the moment and we'll launch next mm-hmm. year because it, it does take a while to get them out. But sometimes it's actually really hard to find a charity. So I actually designed a koala sock ages ago, like I think before I even quit my job and I could not get a charity to work with me. So that got benched for a while and now it's coming back next year because we finally got a charity on board. But sometimes it's actually really hard to get a charity to work with you. So it's a mix of, I think going forward, the more charities that come to me, the better, because then I can kind of have like a backlog of, well, I know I've got animals to work with and charities. Um, But also some of the charities we've got, for example, Rainforest Trust UK, quite a lot of our socks support them because they're, they're, they're saving rainforests. They're kind of yeah. protecting loads of habitats. So we can kind of bucket up quite a few animals that go to that charity. So we're getting to that point as well, where I've got numerous socks supporting one charity as well. And is it 10% of every, is it 10% of every sale or 10% of the profit? Profit. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And, and just, I'm curious because in terms of, say if you were thinking, I was planning a range. I would think, right, okay, I know animal. This animal works really well for us. You know, how frequently do you change the designs? So, say if you know, right, okay, we know monkeys work really well, and 
but I've had that same monkey now for 12 months. Do you keep, do you change the designs or do you keep with it? We haven't actually changed any designs yet. So for example, orangutans is still one of our bestsellers and that came out in, that must've been 2019 as well, maybe late, just a bit later than the turtle. So it's pretty much our second design that came out, still one of our bestsellers. We've done nothing to the design. And I think we just got to keep an eye on it. I'm sure there'll be a a point where people are kind of screaming for either new colors or slightly tweaks to the design. You know, I want to bring out some Christmas ones next year. So maybe we have orangutans with Christmas hats on and things like that. But I would say we're actually bringing out, um, this is hot off the press in like a couple of weeks, we're bringing out some brand new socks that are actually different from our current range. So our current range is like cartoony, like the animals are kind of splashed all over it, bright colors. These ones are... Um, a ribbed bamboo sock so it's kind of like that like striped but one color and then mm-hmm. a little embroidered animal on the side um so, so we are something a bit stick- more subtle and not and like you say more subtle yeah. more like under a suit or like if you don't like wearing colorful socks because not everyone does and that's fine so we're bringing out this range so we've got five um in that style coming very very soon so hopefully they'll sell well and then if they do sell well I've got loads more up my sleeve mm-hmm. um for next year so that's our first I'd say real design change and um, they are the same animals so for example one of them's an elephant because we know elephants have sold well in our current design yeah and I think like you said in terms of you know you tried other products but you hadn't found your USP whereas with the socks in terms of your the ones that are doing it the best or the only ones that are doing it in terms of the way that you're doing it. And that's, you know, how it, how it's helping and working as well. What kind of feedback do you get from your customers on it? Yeah, really good feedback. I think uh, what I'm most proud of is that people buy because of the sentiment behind the socks or the, the donation behind it. I think, great idea. I love that. And they might buy a pair. But then when they get them, they're like, these are really good quality. And that's, you know, something we've, you know, we've tested um, different socks and different manufacturers and we've improved as we've gone along and, <laughs> And we've improved as we've gone along. And um, I think people really love the quality of them. And I think in this industry with socks, I think it could be seen as gimmicky. Like you could have just an animal sock, gimmicky, love the idea, but it's not a great product in itself. But no, actually ours are actually very high quality. So I think customers are pleasantly surprised when they get them. And then the the second half of feedback tends to be fast shipping, good customer service, that kind of thing. Because that just always resonates with customers if they're just being treated the way they expect. And what would you say is your split from a turnover point of view between wholesale and D2C? Interesting question because it's changed this year. So I would say it was about 70% wholesale for most of the year. And now I think it's flipped the other way. I think we're 70% retail. It's completely flipped. So I think a lot of our wholesalers have kind of done their stocking up for Christmas. We will probably start seeing a rush now where retailers are possibly sold out and they're trying to get more in before Christmas. But we are like heavy on the retail train now. We're seeing so much more traffic um, for, for our D2C. D2C. Yeah. yeah. And so did you start with wholesale first or how did, um, so you set up your website, uh, started with DC, but then your wholesale started to really take off. So talk me through that side. Yeah, it's a good question because actually I was very D to C heavy. That's just where I started. That's just where I thought, I, I think naively I just started there because that's, you know, that's how I've experienced shopping by myself as, as a person. Um, didn't really get into the wholesale until, you know, poss- probably like reactively, like I wasn't like, going out. Maybe a couple of people came to me and said, can we stock your socks? And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Um, 
So it wasn't until we, we've had a few customers at the start of 2021. Um, and I've kind of like dabbled in a bit of going out trying to find people. But I actually think our wholesale kind of reckoning happened in, we joined FAIR, the wholesale marketplace in October, 2021. We onboarded all of our wholesale customers and just kind of like let it fizzle out a bit. It didn't do too much with it. It wasn't until February this year Fair were doing some crazy offers. So at this point, they were offering £300 for free for mm. anyone we onboarded, and then they could spend it on our socks. And I was looking at it thinking, this is a crazy deal. Like, how is this real? Oh, well, let's just try it. And then realize the potential there. And then since then, we just pivoted the whole business and we're like, wholesale, wholesale, wholesale. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I've just checked actually for, as of today. So, so it's a year and a bit since we've onboarded onto FAIR. And considering most of the sales were February onwards, we've done over 120K. On that on that platform, just that one platform. Um, we, so we, that's fantastic because yeah. that's obviously that's at a wholesale cost value on a yeah. sock that retails for nine pounds fifty. Yeah, you know, so that's a lot of socks. It's a lot of socks. Like we, bear in mind, we order the lead time is quite long, so we order our Christmas stock in May just to make sure we get it in time. So we ordered in May, and then we had such a huge June because Fair's offer was coming off sale. So we were like, this is all we're going to focus on. Like we've got a month to get all these um, sales through. We had our biggest month ever in June, like mm-hmm. un- until now, until this Christmas. And I was like, we've just beaten Christmas last year and it's June. No, who buys socks in June? So like that was pretty incredible. And so because of that, we doubled our order. And that's why we've now got a lot more stock coming in the next couple of weeks, which is, is a bit late, but that's just because we had June and we're like, we need more stock, like we're going to run out. Um, So pretty incredible that we've had that like opportunity. I think for those people who aren't aware of FAIR or who who know it maybe from, you know, who know, who know it as a platform, but don't know the ins and outs of it. um, Can you explain how they operate and why you felt it was the best platform for you? Yeah, so it's a wholesale marketplace. So you've got two ends. You've got the brands who sign up to sell on it. So that's me. I go on and I list my socks. And then on the other side of it, you've got retailers. So shops, online stores, just anyone that's selling products and needs to source products. And they will go on there and they basically just a big online shop. So it's, you know, it's like an Amazon. Like you just go on and you just shop what you want. And all the brands will set their minimum order quantities. They'll set, you know, cases, their shipping, you know, where they, you know, how long it takes them to ship. They've got their own control of that side of the website. And then the retailers can just shop, add things to their basket. And there's great offers available. So things like the retailers get um, 30, it might actually be 60 days. Uh, it's either 30 or 60 days payment terms. So they don't have to pay straight away. And it's also mm-hmm. free returns. So it's kind of risk-free shopping for them. Um, but I get paid out off, after 30 days. So maybe it is 60 days terms for them. So that's there's some good deals available that, you know, sometimes they pay free shipping. There's, like, there's lots yeah. of different offers available depending what's going on. Um, how they make their money is because they're a marketplace, they would take commission if someone finds my brand. So if someone goes on the marketplace and says, oh, Bear Kind Socks, I'll have some of them and buys them, that as an opening order costs me 25% commission, which sounds high. Um, but if they come, if they keep coming back, it's a lower commission, so it's only 15%. However, they have this thing called Fair Direct, where if you onboard your own leads or if you find new leads, which is pretty much all we did this year, is find new leads and put them into the platform, it's 0% commission. So the I only commission... 
Yeah. yeah. So the only commission they're taking is if they find you a customer. So to be, I've worked out, I think it's different. We've had quite a lot of marketplace orders recently, but we worked out our like blended commission based on the fact that most of our orders were 0%. And overall, the commission was only 4% on like 100 grand. That's yeah. So really it's, really it's, good. it's really good. And I've actually done a YouTube um, channel talking about everything fair because I think I get a lot of when when I talk about it, I get a lot of people saying, I don't, you know, the commission sounds high or I don't think it'll work for my business. And it's like actually no, when you look into it, it's actually really, really good. Like we've, you know, we've done over a hundred thousand pounds of sales and it's only cost us four percent of that. Like it's and so many retailers use it now. So it's also a very, very good way to get exposure. Absolutely. I mean, because it is, you know, speaking, I was working with a a client and they were setting up their own retail store. And just from a from an ease point of view, when you're on the other side, so when you're not a brand as a as a buyer, it's just so easy to use. Like you said, they were doing the 300 pounds credit side of things when I was working with that client. So it's basically free money in terms of that you can try brands. And and then I mean, that's great. I didn't realize about that. Then when you bring in the customers, that it's not percent, which is a really good deal, but also makes you you just use that use that as your platform, put everything to to that kind of you know that's the way you can onboard it. And you've just mentioned as well that you can do invoices. You mentioned before we started recording that you can do invoices through Fair Now as well. I think so. It's either it's either there now or it's a feature they've got coming because we actually have a very good relationship with our uh, brand success manager. So when I, I I don't know if they do it for everyone now because they get so many people joining. But because I joined quite early, I got given a contact in the business to, to speak to, and we've met up with him at the offices. We go and you know we've I've been to events with her and stuff like that because because of my YouTube channel and us like we've kind of exploded on their platform. We're not the biggest brand by any means on there, but we're one of their fastest growing because we have right. literally just spent all our time on that platform um so they do tell us when there's like new features and stuff coming so that's why i know that at some point they're doing invoicing so we'd be able to for example if someone comes to me and they say i want to order this then i can generate the invoice through fair and just ping it over and because of that we get the payment terms and fair do the chasing and that so you've got none of this manual work where you have to like chase the invoice down and get them to pay and they have to do it on their bank details it's it just makes everything so much easier and and very good if you're raising an order at a trade fair, if someone wants to buy there and then, you know, for you to kind of. I think so. Yeah, that's my understanding of it. So I haven't like seen mm-hmm. the seen the tool yet, but that's what I've been told that it will be used for because they, they I think they want to get more into kind of helping how brands grow on trade trade fairs because that's a big thing for us next year is we've not done it we've not done a trade fair yet we've not done any trade shows so we're kind of like going through the process of working out which ones to attend because we've done really well on fair we work with some we've in stopped in over 500 stores now across the world but i also want to get into department stores and you know the kind of bigger brands with more chains um and things like that have you ever done any of the pop-ups like with the great british pop-up or anything like that yeah no, I have not. I've, I mean, back in the day, I did a few markets and things like that, but I have not done pop-ups since. And it's, yeah, I guess it's because I don't hold stock at home anymore. So I've got a warehouse that it's, it really is more of like a logistical thing that I have to work out when I, if I need to take stock anywhere. So I've just haven't done that yet. I think once we get into trade show zone, then I'm probably going to have like a setup ready to go at home, almost like a kind of trade show ready. Let's go pop everything in the car away mm-hmm. we go. But no, I've been, 
I think because markets were just so exhausting, I've stepped away from the like in-person stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I mean, I know with um, the Great British or the Great Exchange, they've rebranded. They're doing some different ones. So before, you used to have to be there physically yourself, so and be there for the week. So you might have had your pop up for the week, and you had to be there for a week. But they're doing ones with Waitrose now and Harvey Nichols where you you pay you you pay a certain amount for the week but you don't need to be there they have staff that are there that are are basically taking, you know taking your stock so they have from depending on on the brand or depending on maybe the, lo- the location of the store it's usually 22 percent commission and then it might be if you're if you're doing the waitrose or the harvey nichols one um the last time i, I inquired about it it was it's 600 pounds for the week whereas if you're doing it that's yourself, really cheap well, yeah, if you're oh, doing it yourself, like say if you're John Lewis, if you, which is John Lewis, I think want you there. Um, it's I think between two and three hundred. But you know, in terms of for you to be able to go to a location that like Manchester and you're based in London, you know, in terms of hotel fees or you know transport and everything like that, if they if they have store staff that are already able to do it, and you can give them a bit of maybe training on Zoom in terms of this is what the brand is about you know when you've got um pos and stuff like that there um and you can pop up maybe to one day to do to do a day to kind of meet people because it's always good i think to see your customers in real life and see who's buying who's buying the product but yeah it works i mean that's it's more attractive kind of thing for business owners because as you know yourself you wear loads of hats when you're a business owner having to trying to take a week out of your yeah out of your uh, you know take a week out to on to be stuff in a stand is you know is quite difficult um and you mentioned there the youtube channel so we'll definitely put the link to that so people who want even more information on fair and how you know how you go about it and everything like that will link to that so people can can um can get more info on that other than fair and because obviously that's been quite stratospheric for you and and the growth what else have your milestones be been I, I mean, the main one which I already mentioned was quitting my job because then suddenly you don't know how you had a full-time job before. There is just so much to do. So I think that would, that felt like a big level up for me. And then I think, so that was the end of 2020. Then I hired my first member of staff in May 21. And again, I think every time I hire a person, so we've got three full-time girls now, um, I'm like, how did I exist without you? <laughs> like, yeah. Because you just they just take another chunk off your plate. And I think especially where I'm hiring, um more skill skill sets that I'm lacking so someone to focus on email and then someone who's a designer and can do the kind of graphic design and all our social media posts and things like that it's yeah those really like help level up I think so they they were they're always a really really important milestone I think um Mm -hmm. and then the other one that comes to mind is when we moved from having all my stock in my parents house with my mum doing my shipping to a fulfillment warehouse that was the biggest like unlock for us yeah because you just you know you become your own bottleneck as so many business owners know and there's only so much shipping my mum could have done so yeah um, we've been been in the warehouse for over a year now and it's been fantastic so that was a really good one and with those couple of questions on that then what was your which area was your first hire in um I went through the government kickstarter program so because of that, so this is where um, it's, it's not a thing anymore. It was during the pandemic, but they were allowing, the government will pay for you to have someone for six months. So they come from universal credit. So you weren't necessarily, I mean, I was putting out um, 
job adverts and stuff. So you could be quite specific, but it was a bit of a mixed bag with the kind of people you were getting because they're not super experienced. So you're not necessarily going to get a very specific hire. But I think I was super lucky with who I got because Jess, she came on as a Kickstarter and she's still with me now a year and a half later. So she came on and I put it out as a marketing role because really you can be quite broad with that. And I just really needed help because there was emails, there's Facebook, there's social media, there's just so much in that aspect that I was like right I'm going to go quite broad with the job description and when it came down to it when I hired Jess we tailored it more to her skill set she's a photographer so I was like so she does all our product photography Mm -hmm. um so she's kind of tailored the job she's still definitely like a marketing manager she does a lot of like what you would call marketing but she's ended up being kind of a jack of all trades and doing a lot of different parts of the business. So I think I hired more based on attitude and the willingness yeah. to just jump in rather than actual skill set and experience. But the fact that she was a photographer was um that was like the icing on the cherry on top of the cake. <laughs> and when you were looking at your fulfillment side of things and moving to a fulfillment center, from those, did you put up the the retail of your socks to help pay for that kind of fulfillment? Or how did you manage that? additional costs into the business it's actually not as expensive as you'd think like Mm. because I mean I and I rate my fulfillment center so much if anyone's ever looking at it we we're with we are fulfillment and they are absolutely fantastic they are such a good warehouse like I cannot like thank them enough for like their support and it's actually a really good model because you pay obviously you pay for storage but that's really not that much because they they either own or lease the warehouse so they've got so much space that you're not paying kind of premium prices yeah. on storage so that's a fixed cost um i think i get charged a very small percentage as an account fee so based if i'm doing if i'm having a big month then obviously my it's a percentage so my account fee will go up and that's that pays for them managing my account for me and then the rest of it is shipping which is cheaper than I could have paid for myself because they get business rates and because they're shipping so much, they get better rates. Um, the cost of like pick and pack. So obviously I have to pay for them to actually like pick and pack. That's actually once baked into it is not much more because I was paying my mom as well. Mm-hmm. So actually works out at quite a good price. So there is actually really not a huge price increase. I think a lot of people don't realize it's actually quite an affordable way to do it. And it's scalable. That's the thing. Like if you're not selling lots, you're not paying much. Like it's just to store it basically. That's great. And you mentioned there when you talked about the hiring the staff and obviously that is a milestone for you. What did that free up you to do in the business? What did your focus become as you got more people involved? More strategic, I think, because when I think a lot of business owners get so caught up in being in the business, like working in the business rather than working on the business. Mm -hmm. So it was very much like I did then have that headspace to kind of step back and be like, where are we going to grow? Like what areas are we going to focus on? Um, And I'm noticing it now. We are so, so busy at the moment that I've not really had much of a chance to do that kind of high level strategic approach and look at it again. I was saying to my partner last night, I really need another session where I can just sit down and kind of bring it all in and be like, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. What are we achieving? Which channels are we going after? And when I do that, it unlocks the next level because we did that at the start of the year when we were looking at FAIR and the opportunity there. And we're like, oh, this is great. We should just pivot all our resources into this and do as much as we can. And then look where it took us, like amazing growth. So I think having being able to have the time and headspace to kind of do some strategic visioning, it really, really helped. But naturally, there's still so much other stuff to do. Like you still have to keep the lights on. so You can't do strategy all the time. But I think it's a really good point to make that 
when you're able to step out of the day to day? Because some people sometimes by doing everything yourself, it's false economy, you know, yeah. depending on the stages of your business and, and you know, what you've got. Obviously, if you've taken on staff too early, you know, you can maybe can't afford them yet because you've not got the cash coming through. So, you, you know, you have to balance that. But by by doing it the other way and not taking on them soon enough and you're not getting that bird's eye view, you lose sight of the the income generating opportunities or like you said that that headspace when you're not having to think about oh that post that 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 package needs to go to so and so mary in canada or whoever do you know what i mean or that needs, yeah you, you're thinking about right okay let's get on fair let's put everything through that we'll reduce our commission and you're not maybe connecting the dots as much because your your head is just so crowded in the day-to-day rather than on the on the business stuff that's going to you know, catapult you or move that needle a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more each time, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I think depending on what you want for your business, because some people, you know, I really want to go into the stratosphere of this business. I want to go global, like as big as we can. And I think we could do, but yeah. not not everyone wants to do that. But I would say like, if you want to grow your business, you're going to have to either outsource or hire at some point because you just become your own bottleneck. And outsourcing was outsourcing is always the best thing I do. Like the first, the absolute first thing I outsourced was my accounting. And I do not regret that at all <laughs> because yeah. the first thing my my accountant had to do was fix all the previous accounting that I'd done wrong. <laughs> um, and then the next big outsource, yeah, was the warehouse. Um, but there's the, the amount of stuff that you can get relatively cheap now. Like there's, you know, you if you don't want to hire a full-time member of staff, hire part-time, have an intern, get a yeah. freelancer. Um, Fiverr is a great place to just hire freelancers for small jobs and things like that. Um, so I think there's all sorts you can do. Like you don't, it doesn't have to be as black and white as hiring a, a, a person and, yeah. until you're ready for it. But it's when you do do it and you find the right person, it's amazing. And what do you think? I know that we, so we talked about the hiring staff and those kind of things that have helped move the, move the needle on your business. What are the things that you think, do you think maybe that you've not mentioned yet that have helped move you on or do you feel that you've covered it? We actually went for investment last last year. Yeah, 20, it feels like a long time ago now, but we I went for investment. So I actually got investment through my university. So I really needed money to pay for stock. Being a stock-based business, it's my biggest expense. And I'd ordered a lot of socks and I had no money to pay for it. Yeah. I was banking on getting a loan, but the banks refused me. And so I'd gone through my university and they had, um, so I went to UBA and Norwich and they have these amazing schemes for students and alumni, as long as you graduated the past five years, where you can kind of go for different levels of funding for your business. So at the start of 21, I'd gone for a seven and a half grand grant um, and I actually got that and that was amazing because it was free and it just zoop, disappeared straight away. <laughs> it just went straight into stock. Like seven and a half grand for business is actually not that much money. Um and so I was like, oh, I need to go for the next level up. So the next one was £50,000 investment, which when I first looked at it, I did not think that I was anywhere near that level. But when it came to it, I was like, oh, I'm ready to go. I need to chew their arm off to get to get this money. Um, and so we did, we did actually win that in September last year and it just meant we just had enough stock to kind of really go for it in that busy period because otherwise you know Christmas is uh 50% of our revenue is in Q4 like Christmas yeah. is huge so you just really want to be able to capitalize on that and I think that then like set us up so I feel like this year we've been able to fund everything no problem like we've bought double the amount of stock but we've been able to afford it based on invest reinvesting profits yeah. I think without that injection of cash uh, we'd be we'd be in a much smaller position right now. 
Great. No, it is. It's to know when it's right to get that investment, isn't it, as well? And just I think what's great is you're very aware and have a very good peripheral vision of what your business needs and that future in terms of where you want it to go, you know, and to be able to see because without the finance, you can't get the stock. Without the stock, you can't get the orders. And I know it's a very logical, you know, but some people don't have that um, logical thinking in terms of that, that forward thinking, you know. The other thing is, I'd say is if I would have rather not gone for investment, like I did, like if yeah. I, but I had to, I needed the money, like, and it's, to be honest, the, the money goes back into the fund and it helps fund other students' businesses. So it's a nice fund to be a part of, but I do, I, I think with this, this kind of perception, especially on social media on LinkedIn, that going for investment is cool and sexy. And it's what all the businesses do. And like, oh, I'm in seed, seed funding and funding round A and B and all this stuff. I, if you can afford to do it without getting investment, do it. Like if you can bootstrap, if you can use savings, if you can borrow from friends and family, you know, in a safe way, then do that rather than take investment. Because why would you want to give up a percentage of your yeah. business unless you really had to? I think the, the the flip side is, can you benefit from having, the other thing is, do you bring someone in on that? Like, so is, the, is there a board member? Is there some, you know, does someone want to buy in as a partner or something like that, that has expertise in a certain field that you need? So I think there's a lot to consider before you like dive into investment. But I knew that it was, it was the only way we could have paid for stock. And it's with my university. So it's, you know, I, you know, I trusted them and I have a great relationship with them. So it's fine. But I think ideally, if you can do it without investment, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And what, what percentage would you, did you have to give up work? Can you it's, say? it's actually a convertible loan. So this is the, another good thing for me. So they basically, they gave me 50,000 pounds and they haven't taken equity yet. So okay. at the end of five years, I either start paying it back plus interest rate, or they can, they, they have the right to convert to equity. So for example, if I if I do go for further investment, so if I go to someone and I say I need a hundred grand, and they say, okay, well we'll give you a hundred grand based on your business being worth a million, then the fifty thousand pounds that UBA invested will convert into percentage, which would be that five percent. My math isn't great, but it would work out based on what their business is actually valued at. So it's quite smart from them yeah. because their invest as I grow, my investment their investment is only going to increase. Um, but so there is the option of me paying it back as a loan but I, I think they're probably likely to want to convert to equity. Mm-hmm. No, it's just interesting to see. I've not heard about universities um, doing that. I so. don't know any others that do it. You know, UBA is amazing for this. I've not met anyone, any other university. Obviously, I haven't checked all of them, but that's, as far as I've seen so far, UBA are the only one that does something like this. No, it's fantastic. And how and I noticed on your um, Instagram that you've recently been on the radio. And you've done yeah. oh, that's big video, for us. yeah. <laughs> and how have you seen? And I know it's hard to see the return on investment on some things because it can come from so many different mixed sources. But have you seen a return on that yet? And how did that? Why? Why? Why did you choose radio? What are your thoughts with that? It was actually through our fulfillment center. This is how good these guys, that guys are. They've got like a bit of an accelerator program to kind of help boost brands. And through that, they've got connections in the radio. So kind of linked me up. We we managed to get some recording time, just get some ads done. And I just, you know, they say that it gives us so much because there's so many brands as part of global. So you see it's heart, it's classic, it's LBC, there's loads. They say, you know, we can get you out there to millions of people. And I just couldn't resist. I mean, we looked at it, you know, it's always a risk when you go into this kind of thing. So you pay a certain amount up front and you think, okay, well, I need this return on investment to make it worth it. But we've already surpassed that. Um, Yes, it is hard to directly attribute. But one thing we do have is, 
we have like a survey on our checkout page so people can put where they've heard us and about 50% say on the radio. And then based on our like marketing attribution for the rest of um, our marketing spending, we can kind of see where it's gone because we can see X percent goes into Facebook, X percent from Google. But you're going to assume that some of Google have like, they've heard us on the radio, Googled us. Yeah, and it's that and third or then, fourth yeah. touch point and then, and then they've bought or whatever it might be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, you're always going to have some that kind of fall through and you can't attribute them directly, but we can also know exactly when our ads have gone on and then we see the spikes in our, our traffic and things like that. So it's, I've definitely found it worth it. Um, and it's just incredible exposure for our brand, really. And what do you feel that you need most support within your business right now? Good question. I think, I mean, we, we started talking about it before we were recording, but I'm looking at trade shows next year. So I feel like I've not been in that world before. It feels a bit more of a jump because, you know, you might be working with large brands and they all have their own, or large retailers, I should say, and they all have their own like invoicing system. And, you know, I want a pricing sheet and a catalog and a trade um, trade stand and a point of sale stand. I think I think that's going to be the next new learning curve for us. But I, we've started looking, we've started, you know, working out what trade shows we want to attend and kind of understand how that could work for us. But I think that's going to be a whole new world for us if we manage to start working with some bigger retailers. Well, I think at, at your trade phase, obviously, you've got a mix of small boutiques that have one, a couple mm. that have a chain, and then you've got the bigger, you've got bigger retailers that will attend them as well, just to see what is new. Um and they'll all have a variety of payment terms. So that would be the thing that I would say, because they might have payment terms that are potentially 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, or 120 days, depending on the retailer that you're working with. So it's basically what kind of cash flow have you got? How big is their order to be able to, to manage that, you know? And so there are the things that would be one thing, I'm, you know, there's obviously, we can talk about it after, but in terms of questions that you would definitely want to ask and, um, and one of the, some of the frustrating things about bigger retailers is the order can take, depending on the retailer, it can take a really long time for you to actually be onboarded as a brand and to actually um, get that order through. So you feel like you're doing, oh, when is this order going to come? When is this order going to come? And you're doing a lot of work because it might be, oh, we don't have a sign off or we don't need new, we don't need new products until Q3 and you might be in Q1, you know, or, and there, so they're some of the, the frustrating things, but it's definitely a, it's something to keep knocking on that door. And, you know, what's that banging that drum, I suppose. Uh, one of the podcasts uh, recently was with uh, Kate from Wild Source Skincare, who uh, approached, I think as well, what's good. And it, outside of trade fairs is have your list of who are your bigger retailers you want to get in touch with, because a lot of those bigger retailers might not actually go to those trade fairs. Um, and it's, you know, what's your, who's your list of, of retailers that you want to be in? Is it, is it next? Is it um, Liberty? Is it John Lewis? And be approaching those directly. So like I said, Kate, who was, she's in Liberty's beauty advent calendar this year which is wow. obviously a, a massive um, achievement. But she, I think she'd been stocked with them for a couple of months or maybe a year. But it took about, I said, I said to her, you know, how many times did you actually approach them to get that first meeting or, you know, email them? She said probably about 15 to 20 emails over a course of different buyers, a couple of months or whatever it might be. And and it, so it's it's being having that patience and also the resilience to keep on going but you know have those retailers in mind and who you want to target and don't just depend on a trade fair because they might not be there 
you know, trade fairs are great for accounts like that you'll see the kind of retailer that you've got coming through from fair anyway. And it's just another way for an exposure. And, um, but I would do a direct reach out. If you've got bigger retailers in mind, I would definitely do a direct reach out. And then you can say, we're going to be at this trade fair. Will you be there? Um, You know, and if it is more London head office ones that you're thinking about, then some of the London-based trade fairs may be a better one for you than the other ones um, because it's just easier for a buyer to get to that's of a bigger that's of a bigger retailer, you know. But what would you what can you share that you want to you talked about global domination? But is there anything specific that you would in terms of in the next 12 months of where you would like to see the brand? Yeah. So from, a, as you said, knowing where we want to go, I've always said that I'd love to be in John Lewis. I feel like you, I go in the sock section and I think that our socks would fit. I think there's a gap there. There's no one doing what we're doing. At the end of the day, they are just socks, but they're really good socks. And the the kind of charity message yeah. is very unique. Um, so I've got that in mind. We've got this kind of like retail path we're going to go on, which I, as you said, there's so much to do there and there's so much like persistence that it's, you know, that's, I feel like that's like a year's worth of work just there. Mm-hmm. Um, number two is kind of geographic expansion. So I think there's only so far we can go with the brand worldwide when we've got UK base. Um, so I really need to get a fulfillment warehouse in my next location. So whether that's Europe, because we, I mean, we do free ship into Europe at the moment and I also pay the taxes. Um, so it's not a super profitable channel for us until we get a warehouse where it's much cheaper for us to ship from within like, you know, Germany or something like that. So it's either Europe or possibly America or Canada. Mm-hmm. And then also I've got my eye on Australia because we're I'm, I'm, I'm flying there next week. My partner's Australian. So we spend quite a lot of time there and it just feels na- like from a personal point of view, that feels like a natural next step. But I'm going to have to prioritize because I can't do I can't afford to do all of those <laughs> at once. <laughs> but like you said, with the Australian side of things, instead of using a fulfillment, that could be right. What are the Australian retailers we'd like to target? Who would we like to see? Because then that helps with the fulfillment, because if you just ship directly to their warehouse you know it's kind of thinking around those those kind of it would be yeah and I think we haven't actually targeted any Australian retailers just because of how long it takes to ship and how expensive it is so it's it's Mm -hmm. much harder to convert so I mean as I said before fulfillment warehouses aren't actually that expensive once you've got the stock there the, the biggest consideration for us is the fact that we have to split our stock up yeah. so if I you know kind of say right I need uh, 10,000 units in Australia that's 10,000 units worth of my money locked up in Australia in a market that we haven't really started growing in yet so obviously there's that jump that we need to take where we could say okay I can afford to lock up 10,000 units and grow that slowly whereas you know right now in, in the UK Christmas is nuts so we're, it's like why would we send any stock anywhere else but here yeah. Um, but at some point we're going to have to make that jump and just know that there's a risk there and kind of having that stock somewhere else where it's going to probably sell a bit slower than the UK. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's just knowing what, what's the balance, you know, and kind of testing it and trialing it. And exactly. Then, yeah. and, then seeing. and what would be your advice for someone who is starting out? My favorite bit of advice always when someone asks me this question is you just have to start. I think there's, I just started, I didn't even really, like I had one product, then I had another and I was kind of flip-flopping around just learning. I think try not to be too much of a perfectionist. You've just got to get in and learn as you go along and make mistakes and just figure out what you want to do. Because I think you can spend so much time in idea phase and obsessing over the details and being like, 
you know, this has to be perfect. Whereas you actually just need to get going and test stuff. And you might not end up with the exact idea you first had. You might end up down a completely different path, but that's good. You just need to kind of get involved, get creative and just start. Maybe it's just a social media account you start with. Maybe it's just a website. You know, you might not even have a product. You might just launch without a product. That's also okay. You just want to get like a feel for things because especially if you spend a lot of money on building a product and then you've got no one to buy it, you yeah. just need to like get going, um, which sounds like a bit of a cop, cop out because my advice for someone starting is just start. <laughs> but it's true. You've just got to get get into it. I know. Stop thinking about it and start start taking the action. And do yeah. It. Entrepreneurship is just a lot of doing it. And they always say that, that, you know, there's so many people have your idea. But if you're the only one that actually does it, then you're laughing. Like it's. Uh, yeah. So being an entrepreneur is just doing stuff all the time. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Lucy. Where can people find Bearkind then? Yeah, absolutely. So we're bearkind.com and we're Bearkind on Facebook and Instagram as well. And just yeah, find me on LinkedIn if you want to chat or connect, uh, Lucy Jeffrey. And if we have people that are owners of retail outlets or buyers that are listening, they can uh, look at the brand as well through FAIR. On our website, we've got a wholesale section. But yeah, if, you, if you're on FAIR already, search, yeah, search for Bearkind. But yeah, if you go on our website and find the wholesale bit, you can you sign up for a referral and that's where we get our sweet 0% commission. So remember that, people. We want, we want Lucy to get zero, to have zero commission. Zero commission. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for, for joining me today and thank you for listening. And if you would like to leave a review, I would very much appreciate it. And I'll be back again next week with a great guest.